I'll start off with some thoughts about Levi, and then we'll see how, whether you make sense of what follows on. Um, but yeah, I guess it's, it's thinking about, um, it's, in, it's partly in the context of us as a church thinking about what we are and, and what we do and what our vision is and you know, what ministries we get involved in and what ministry is and what work is and what work is to God. Uh, so it's somewhere in that kind of space. Uh, we've talked a bit about Levi uh, or Matthew and, uh, and it's only in the gospel that we think he wrote that he refers to himself as Matthew and maybe that's because Levi was his family name and Matthew was his given name or maybe it's because like Simon Peter, Jesus gave him a new name of Matthew, we don't know, um, but it's the same person either way. So as we, uh, as we talked about near the beginning, um, you know, this is, maybe he looks like this, maybe he doesn't, I don't know, he's, there he is at his tax collecting table uh, doing his accounts. Um, so tax collecting under the Roman Empire was rather different than it is now because obviously they didn't have, you know, computers and the Inland Revenue didn't have a record of everyone. Uh, instead, they had periodic censuses like the one where Jesus and his parents have to go to Bethlehem uh, and they have a census so they can work out how many people live in each district so that the, uh, the central government can then say, oh, well, it's reasonable to charge to get, you know, however many million pounds from Nottinghamshire. And then they will get uh, someone particularly um, prominent in Nottinghamshire will then take, maybe by bidding for, the job of collecting tax from Nottinghamshire. And then they will, in turn, recruit local tax collectors and they'll work out exactly how they're going to extract that much money from that region and those people. And the, the tax collectors are then the, the, you know, the, sort of the people on the ground doing the day-to-day -day, uh, collection of various kinds of taxes, maybe taxes on goods as they move along major trade routes, maybe taxes on um, fish caught in by the lake, uh, maybe um, you know, other kinds of taxes as well, but typically of those kinds of categories, taxes on, on land ownership, taxes on crops. So all of those tax collectors, which uh, I always found this very confusing, you know, in the King James Version, they're called publicans. I'm wondering, what are all these pub owners doing? <laughs> it turns out, in the, you know, in the archaic sense of publican, it just is tax collector. You know, they're people who are working uh, for the state in that kind of function. Um, so they're uh, local people, generally speaking, um, working for the occupying Roman authorities, or at least working for their middleman in this case, uh, it's probably um, one of the Herods, whichever Herod it is who's still around at the moment, who kind of governs that province. Um, it's probably a reasonably skilled job, you know, you've got to keep your accounts, you've got to tally stuff, you've got to keep track of who's paid and who hasn't, and have a reasonable eye for who might be trying to evade their taxes and so on. Um, you're certainly going to have to be fluent in both the local language and in, in the Roman language, and well, in this case, probably Greek, because we're in the Eastern Roman Empire, um, more than Latin. So, you know, he probably speaks Aramaic and, and Greek very well. He's good at accounts. And, but he's, um, like all tax collectors, largely ostracized by the, the local Jewish population because he's a sympathizer with the occupying forces. And we're sitting in a period of Jewish history where there is quite a strong um, movement, nationalist movement, 
um, to a separatist movement. Um, now, they weren't necessarily, but they were certainly regarded as being systematically dishonest and exploitative. Um, you know, it's not for nothing that Zacchaeus offers these kind of, oh, well, if, if I have defrauded anyone, then of course I will, you know, I will pay compensation. So, you know, it's in the water. People expect these people to, um, to be dishonest. And, it, well, the whole system is set up around, you know, the, um, the person in charge has got to pass on the allocated tax, and then everyone else has to make more than that in order to make their income. That's the way the whole structure works. So what do the people around see, you know, as Jesus and his, you know, some of his disciples and followers are, are going past this tax booth, uh, and, uh, and Jesus calls uh, this, this tax collector to come and follow him. And, uh, and he does, and at least... You know, he sort of, maybe, I, I presume he wasn't the only person in the tax booth, you know, so he, he, maybe there's someone else who says, you know, yeah, sorry, John, can you take over here? I'm off. Um, so, he, you know, he leaves all his tax collecting stuff and he goes off and, uh, and starts following Jesus, you know, sort of on that particular day and, uh, and consequently. So, at least compared to the fisherman, he's probably pretty well educated Maybe he's the richest of the disciples, we don't know, um, but he could well be, you know, given the, his uh, historical occupation. Um, when Jesus calls the, the fishermen, he says, hey, come and be fishers of men, because Jesus obviously likes a bit of a, a gag. He doesn't say anything about being a tax collector for God when he calls Levi, he just says, follow me. Now, one of the disciples is described as Simon the Zealot, and that may be a zealot in the sense of rampant nationalist, in which case, for him in particular and for others like him, then recruiting a tax collector into the immediate disciples is uh, potentially a recipe for conflict, shall we say, at the very least. And, uh, and with, with generally, you know, those around who are um, Jewish nationalists, is gonna, it's not a great PR exercise to recruit um, a Roman sympathiser into your, your core group. So, we also know that the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in particular have an issue with, uh, with tax collectors and other sinners. Um, these are the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are the sort of... Um, diligent, trying to follow the law people. They overlap, but they're mostly not the same as the, the sort of the senior religious officials. You know, you kind of get the Jesus trial at the end and the Sanhedrin and stuff. Um, the senior religious officials have, have reached some sort of accommodation with the occupying forces. And, uh, you know, kind of, they don't want to lose their nation, national identity, but, you know, they also don't want to rock, go, rock the boat. Um, but at a slightly more grassroots level, there's, there's a lot more, you know, kind of conflict and um, judgment. And so the Pharisees in particular, you know, are working really hard at keeping the law, and their interpretation of the law is very much about, about holiness, about separation, about keeping away from the bad stuff. And, you know, as you see in various 
parables or incidents that Jesus recounts, like um, you know, the Pharisee praying on the street corner and, and the other guy who's saying, you know, how sinful I am, and God says, you know, and Jesus says, you know, God's on the side of the, the one who acknowledges what they're like. Um, so the tax collectors definitely look down on, um, the Pharisees definitely look down on, on the, the tax collectors. And how does Jesus respond? Well, it's not a completely straightforward response. Uh, you know, so saying it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. So at one level, you know, if we sort of adopt the Pharisees' perspective, you know, they're saying, you know, these tax collectors are awful people. And so Jesus kind of says, well, if they're awful people, don't they need God most? Um, but then he also says, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, I mean, there's clearly, you know, you don't have to reflect too long to recognise that he's not saying, I agree with you, the Pharisees, are, the tax collectors are an awful and you're fine. Uh, he's saying, um, well, at least the tax collectors and the sinners have an understanding of how they need God. And until you actually acknowledge that you do have a need of God, I'm not going to be able to do much to help you. Because who is righteous? You know, as it says elsewhere, only God is righteous. Uh, so there, you know, there is no one who can truly claim to be righteous in their own right. So more than anything, I think Jesus is kind of calling out their hypocrisy. Okay, you know, if you, you're looking down on them, and that's no reason to stay away from them, isn't that a reason to, you know, just kind of work with them and encourage them? So why do you think Jesus does eat with tax collectors and, and other unwelcome people on the fringes of society? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you, you, I mean, you get that viscerally, you know, the feeling of eating together, but certainly in that sort of Mediterranean culture, it is a big deal around hospitality and eating together and acknowledging each other. <coughs> so, um, so Jesus isn't just taking their food, but he is, you know, kind of identifying with them, and that really gets their backs up. Um, but Jesus doesn't, well, I don't know, I mean, he doesn't, they're busy judging them and saying, we must stay away. That doesn't seem to be Jesus' agenda at all. You know, he does not. Uh, judging them and pushing them away. I think part of the reason he goes to eat with them is because he's invited. <laughs> and, um, you know, Levi says, yeah, come, have a meal, you know, come and join us. Maybe the meal was already planned, maybe he laid it on specially. Uh, we don't know, but, you know, he's invited, he goes, and, and he'll be... Um, you know, imagine what Jesus was like to have at a dinner party, you know, actually what he was like at a dinner party. You know, he, he kind of, he seems pretty laid back, doesn't he, pretty much all the way through the Gospels. And he's happy to join in, and he's chatting, and, it, and he'll really talk to just about anyone. Um, and there's something about, you know, in the Pharisees, you know, they've got this um, sort of logic of, of purity. There's this sense that, that sin is contagious in their view. You know, you, you mustn't be with the bad things because it will rub off on you. Um, but Jesus seems to operate completely the opposite way round. Uh, that there's some logic of kind of contagious goodness. By being with Jesus, you know, it rubs off. And you see that, obviously, very literally in things like, um, uh, you know, some of the healing stories around the lepers. 
you know, where, you know, literally, biologically, you can catch leprosy from lepers, but Jesus touches them and they're cured. And there is something very fundamental about, uh, about you know, the way God's kingdom works in there. So, uh, the book, which we you know, sort of loosely base this series on, then th- goes on mainly to think about Levi's outsider status and about how you know, kind of Jesus reaches out to him and he, you know, he, he leaves it and follows. Um, now, you know, and so you'll, you'll hear you know, kind of lots of sermons and talks about this and about you know, calling the, the fishermen, which are, have this very... Um, blunt narrative, you know, things were bad before, Jesus called me, it's all much better. And, uh, and I did various, you know, for example, YWAM missions when I was a teenager, and, we, and that was what they basically told us to do, come up with a testimony about how bad it was beforehand, and then how you came to Jesus and how much better it is now. And, um, and that was a bit tricky, because that's, you know, that's not my personal experience, that's not how my life's been. Um, I, in some sense, I don't think I ever didn't have anything to do with Jesus. Um, I kind of I prayed the prayer of commitment so many times, you know, just in case. You're never quite sure if you've done it properly. And you know, I was baptised when I was 17 in a Baptist church, but um, at least in terms of you know, kind of breaking rules and laws, I did more of that after I was baptised than I did before. And um, so, you know, that, that sort of narrative, you know, it do, doesn't really work for me. Maybe it is true for some people, and that's great, um, but uh, not for me. And that also means I'm a bit reluctant to, you know, to kind of see that as the only way of interpreting what we know about what happens with Matthew and Levi. Or Levi. Um, We don't know a huge amount about him, but we do know some things. So, you know, for a moment, let's think about what we do know. Uh, so we do know that Jesus reached out to him, chose him as a disciple, and then, um, under God's inspiration, chose him as one of the 12. And, you know, so presumably Jesus saw something in him. And maybe, and if, you know, maybe one of the things that all of the disciples had is a certain honesty, or integrity, um, we're reasonably confident that he wrote Matthew's gospel. And um, what do we know about Matthew's gospel? Well, it's reckoned to be the most Jewish of the gospels. It's the only one that's got all of those extra verses about from the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills them. Um, it's also um, got the stuff about, for example, um, some of uh, Jesus' birth and and very early life. So Mark's gospel is probably, as far as people can tell, based on Peter's first-hand account. And Mark's gospel starts basically when Peter's called, and it works on from there. Um, And it's pretty direct, you know, it's kind of very factual. Um, So whereas Luke, you know, the, the doctor who did a load of research, he's got some earlier stuff as well, and so's Matthew, he's got some of this earlier stuff as well. Um, Peter's version doesn't have the Sermon in the Mount, but Matthew's does, he has the longest version, Luke has some of it too. Um, Matthew's is the only one that has the story where 
Um, the temple tax collectors come, and, uh, and Jesus tells Peter to go and pull a fish and take a coin out of its mouth to pay the tax. So that's quite interesting. Uh, and he's also the only gospel that has this bit. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Which has been my sort of number one favorite verse for a significant fraction of my adult life. And I wonder if Matthew kind of resonated with some of that. You know, maybe it stuck in his mind. Um, so maybe uh, rather than being, you know, someone who you know, was living a sinful life and Jesus called them and they were transformed, you know, maybe, well, what does it take to become a tax collector? Um, well, like I say, we've got to be reasonably educated. I mean, maybe it was the family business. We don't know. You know we really don't know. But um, he didn't necessarily wake up one morning in a perfectly innocuous occupation and think, oh, I know, I will work for the Romans and collect taxes instead. Uh, you know, he may have you know, found himself in that situation for all sorts of reasons. Um, He's clearly, or he's, you know, he seems to be touched like Zacchaeus is when Jesus reaches out to him. You know, he's very conscious of his outsider status. How could he not be? Um, was he, like I say, you know, extorting money from people and being generally dishonest? Um, well, there's nothing to say he was. You know, we don't get that dialogue around you know, reparations and stuff. Uh, it seems to me like it's, you know, it's... You know, Zacchaeus do a bit different, we talked about before. But, it, you know, it seems to me that for him it is equally possible to see Matthew as someone who is trying to do well a really unpleasant job that they've been, you know, perhaps brought up into. You know, we really don't know. And, um, you know, kind of wrestling with that. And he seemed to have this heart for the Jewish nation, you know, even though he's working for the Romans now in his gospel, he's got, you know, he's got this real sort of advocacy to, to his fellow Israelites. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, it seems to me it's equally possible that that may always have been there. You know, we may be seeing who he was coming through, <coughs> excuse me, in his gospel. And as we mentioned earlier, Although in Matthew's particular case, it seems like he probably does stop being a tax collector and becomes a full-time disciple, and like many of the other apostles, then kind of hangs out, and eventually goes off um, to another country where uh, eventually probably gets himself killed, but no one's entirely sure. Uh, but Zacchaeus, certainly for one, doesn't seem to have stopped being a tax collector, even though he encountered Jesus and he was transformed and he makes all of these, you know, kind of fresh commitments. Um, he seems like he probably did carry on being a Christian tax collector, as far as you can tell. So, are there jobs that Christians can't do? You know, there's one question you might take out of this. Um, I know I would struggle with... Um, being in the armed forces, personally. Uh, I, as a teenager, I definitely, you know, I kind of, um, you know, I went, I went into my first workplace and I said, I'd rather not work on defence. They said, it's a defence project. I said, 
Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> so it was, uh, anyway, stuff that might be in satellites. I, would, I don't think I would have done offensive weapons, but anyway. Um, would it be better if there were no Christian tax collectors? Is another question. Um, well, it wouldn't mean there weren't any tax collectors. <laughs> so, uh, on, the, on average, it seems like having tax collectors with integrity is probably better than having tax collectors without integrity. Um, so, yeah, that seems like it's probably uh, a good idea. And I'm sure we all know that you know, there are lots of images that Jesus uses of, of the kingdom of God that have this character of a little affecting a lot. You know, salt and light are perhaps the two most obvious ones. Um, you know, as we, as we pray in the disciples' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So, one incident around one particular disciple isn't enough to give us a whole theology of work. Um, but I think, you know, there are ways of, of seeing what's going on with, with Levi, with Matthew, um, that, that can be seen as at least part of that. You know, that Jesus isn't making these, these separations. It's possible, perhaps, to work with integrity in hard places and still, maybe like Zacchaeus does, to, uh, to, to kind of put that into practice and, and continue you know, living out those kingdom values in, in potentially difficult places. So responding to the call of Jesus didn't have to mean leaving tax collecting behind. It doesn't have to mean leaving whatever it is you do today behind. Um, as we were praying, you know, one of, the, one of the common themes, I suppose, of the way God works in the world is that he comes alongside us. And that's very much how I you know, think about um, a lot of what's going on. Um, we seek to understand God's presence with us. Uh, you know, he's the, he's the God who, uh, in Jesus, becomes human. Uh, he's the God who, in Jesus, goes through death and, and takes it right through to resurrection. He's the God who, in the Holy Spirit, um, promises to be with us now. So that thing about presence and indwelling and, and being where we are. So that, that sort of draws a slight kind of a dotted line under, under Matthew or Levi um, because the transition then is... Uh, uh, so we have, as a church, we have this vision statement, a community of people on a journey together to know Jesus Christ and follow him in everyday life. Um, One of the things that's been on my mind for a very long time, probably since I was on the leadership team before, um, is to try and have a clearer sense of, of the whole ministry of us as a, as a group of people. Um, you know, we've, we've acknowledged that it's not about the things we do that just have RBC badges on them, you know, it's about the whole of our lives um, and how we follow Jesus in that. And so I kind of, 
So in, in sort of volunteering to do this service, it was partly because I had an idea of how it might be possible to start doing that map, uh, and that's what this is. Um, so, let's see, very, which way around should we do this? Um, there are two versions of the same thing here. Um, so the, the sort of the map is sort of a big picture of um, all the different things that people are involved with. Um, there's a flip side that we'll do in a moment, which is it kind of starts with each of us thinking um, what's going on in our life, where are our ministries, where are our activities, where's God in all of that. Um, for some of us, you know, I spend a lot of my time and energy in the University of Nottingham trying to do that as well as I can. Um, and in a, you know, as helpful and as godly a way as I can, I do some of it parenting. Ness does you know, a whole range of different things. I've called this a portfolio because I think you know, all of us do have a portfolio of different things that we do and that we're involved in. For some of us, it's you know, parenting, caring for family, um, or caring for other people around us. Uh, for some people, it may simply be praying when we can. You know, that can be an equally valid expression of you know, kind of being with God in what we're doing. So, can I, so that you hear a little bit of someone else as we transition, uh, Gwyn kindly agreed to answer a couple of my questions about um, what, yeah, what that means for you. So, yeah, yeah if you want to come up, Gwyn. Um, and I'll hand these things around. So if everyone can end up with a little card, which is an LICC thing, one of these pieces of, one of these forms uh, and something to write with, that would be brilliant. Um, if someone can make it happen, that would be brilliant. Um, so, yeah, so one of the bits I've given you there is, a, is an LICC thing, London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. Obviously, their big agenda has always been about recognising that the employment and voluntary work that we do is also part of kingdom stuff. Um, and they, talk, they have this notion of a front line, which is just a way of saying um, all of us have places where we put our time and energy, where we encounter other people, and that's where the kingdom can be built. 